fantasy football doesn't mean anything to me. Like, we're just trying to win games out here, and so I don't know who's hot, who's not, who wins, who doesn't. Like, I don't really care about that. I just care about whether we win. So, yeah, got to have fun with that. Bill Belichick, Patriots head coach, does not care about your fantasy team. We have someone here who deeply cares yeah. about all fantasy teams, especially his, Matthew Berry. Welcome. And let me just say this. Yeah. Let me say this. I'm at an age where I know all the people that I want to know. Okay. <laughs> okay I'm not looking for new friends. Yeah. You know, Jerry Seinfeld has a bit about that. When you're an adult, you got your three or four friends, and that's it. Matt Casey knows this very well. Right. I am not interested in knowing anyone else. I know all the people that I choose to know. However, I will say that it has been a tremendous delight to get to know you over the past couple of days. I am thrilled that Matthew Berry is now part of the NBC Sports family. So I am making an exception to my usual approach. I have a new friend in Matthew Berry. All right. I will take that. Thank you very much. No, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I don't. I don't like any. You know, it's like right. You have your. You have your friends. Like, listen. I have. I have adults that I have to deal with because I have kids. So I have to deal with their their parents. And then you've got you've got neighbors. And you've got your actual friends. So I, I'm uh, I'm with you. And I'm flattered. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be part of the NBC Sports family. Everyone has been so welcoming and great. You know, it's a scary transition because I was I was at ESPN for 15 years. And to come, you, you know, you never know what to expect. Like I was. You know, for the first time in a long time, new kid at school, and everyone's been nothing short of amazing. Yeah, I mean, I went through this 13 years ago when I joined NBC, and you do the same thing, like, what is this going to be? How is this going to be? And everyone has always been great. I mean, for 13 years, it's been great. So I'm thrilled you're here, and uh, it's been great so far, and I look forward to working with you. Yeah, same. Indefinitely. I, yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, listen, <laughs> yeah, I, I sure hope so, because you, you leave something for 15 years. You hope uh, you're not just doing it for... Uh, right. For a quick stop here. So I'm really excited. It's a homecoming for me. I started my career at Roto World, obviously, NBC Sports. And so I, it's rare that somebody gets a chance to come full circle. And, uh, you know, I feel like I did. So welcome I was home. telling you last night that yeah. that's how we kind of first got on the NBC radar screen because we did some work with Roto World and we yeah, would sell right. the draft guides and they would sell incredibly well. And that caught the eye of Rick Cordella, who became – responsible for NBCSports.com, and then everything just kind of fell in place from there. When my very first job at uh, NBC at Roto World was 1999, and I, uh, I got a job writing for free, writing a, a fantasy football column for free in 1999, and I think Rick Cordella joined that exact same week writing player bur- blurbs, like maybe for 50 bucks a week. Like, you know, him and I both basically joined the same week rotoworld.com and so yeah i mean so rick and i have been friends for 20 years it's funny because it was 2000 a year later that i started writing for the old nfltalk.com website if you remember that yeah, sure for free yeah yeah, right? yeah just for free it's like what the hell what else am i doing it it's a, a hobby right yeah because any other this is the conversation i had with my wife at the time because she's like why are you doing all this stuff and you're not getting paid for it it's like well if I wasn't doing this, I would be doing something that actually cost me money. So at right. least we're ahead of the game. Right, I could right, go exactly. golf yourself, and spend yeah. 50 bucks and be gone for six hours and be pissed off when I get home. Or I could do this, and it makes me happy, and who cares if they're not paying me? Right. Now, now that no longer applies, right. by the way. Fair the anyone, yeah, Rick Cordella, like, yeah, if you're yeah. watching, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mike <laughs> but, and I both have kids. We, yeah. do, we need a paycheck. But, but uh, what caused you to even trip into this world how did that get so i'm always fascinated by that that origin story how did how did you end up doing this 
so, uh, nerdy kid, candidly. I mean, just, I was 14 years old. And so I, I was 14 years old in 1984, just to date myself. And uh, do you remember, there was a book called Rotisserie League Baseball. Do you remember the phrase Rotisserie League Baseball? It was the name of the restaurant in Philadelphia. The, uh, New York. But New yes, York. yeah, La Rotisserie. Yeah. Like the people that invented the game would have lunch every week uh, at a restaurant. Now, La Rotisserie Francaise, which had, it's now defunct, but it was in, uh, in New York. And they were all literary types, you know, writers of Esquire and, and the New York Times and Columnists, and so they wrote this book, uh, uh, Daniel Okrent and Glenn Wagoner, and they wrote this great book called Rotisserie League Baseball, the greatest game for baseball fans since baseball, and it was basically about fantasy baseball. And so uh, in 1984, that was the first spring after that book came out, there was a league forming. And, like I was a, actually a pretty good tennis player as a kid, and I was walking up to my lens. I, I was taking pro, uh, you know, pro lessons. And I hear my coach talking about in this weird language with a buddy of his. I'm like, you guys talk about rotisserie league baseball? And they're like, you've heard of it? And I'm like, yeah, you guys had? Because it was just in a book. And I was just, I read every sports book I could back then. And they needed another member. So at 14 years old, I joined my first rotisserie league baseball uh, league. I have since, in the years past, I've gotten to actually meet Daniel Okrent, the inventor of the game, and, and do a fantasy baseball draft with him. And he... We were one of the first 50 leagues in America, and uh, I've been playing ever since. And so, uh, 1999, I fast forward to 99. Quick question. Yes, sir. 84, your first team. Your first team. Who was on it? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, my very first player that I ever got was Mario Soto. Nobody cares. You know, I know. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Well done. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Shout out to Pardon My Take. That's right. Right. Exactly. Um, And Bill Belichick certainly doesn't care. Yes. Um, We can tell by the way he uses his running backs. He does not care about fantasy managers. So anyway, 1999, I'm living in Hollywood as a screenwriter uh, for movies and TV. And Roto World, which I'm on all all the time, is advertising for writers. This is 1999. This is the days of AOL and CompuServe. You had to dial up, like, yes. you've got mail. That was a novel thing. Like, oh, I've got an email. That's exciting. Like, people didn't know. So at any rate, I email them in, and I say, hey, listen, I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fantasy player. It's my passion. I love it. I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood, and I think, you know, it would be so much fun just to write a column on the side for you. Could I try it? Could I send you a sample? And so uh, the legendary Matthew Pugliot, who still works at Roto World today, does all the baseball coverage for us, writes me back and says, Married with Children is my favorite show of all time. I I looked you up on IMDb. Married with Children is my favorite show of all time. You're hired. So because I wrote for Married with Children, I got a chance to write a free column for Roto World around fantasy baseball, and column sort of took off. And eventually they started paying me and uh, just kept going and going. And then in... Uh, 2004, I felt like I'd developed enough of a following that I could start my own website. People were starting to make money on the internet. So I left Roto World to start TalentedMrRoto.com, made a deal with Roto World where they would run my columns and just link back to my site. Um, And so I did that for a couple of years, started promoting the site in a bunch of places, one of which was ESPN. And in 07, ESPN came to me and they said, we think fantasy football is big enough that we need a guy. We're looking for our Mel Kuyper of fantasy football and we like all the work you have done for us because I'd been doing Cold Pizza and ESPN News and some of those shows. And uh, they said, we want to buy your website, move you to Connecticut, and make you the guy. And that was in 07, and it was a two-year deal. 
and uh, wound up being a 15-year run there. How hard was it to leave? It had to have been after 15 years. It, it had was. To have been. <clears throat> it, it certainly was. Missed the people. Um, uh, you know, loved the people, loved my time. Wasn't look, honestly, wasn't looking to leave. Um, and, uh, you know, and they made me a, a, a three-year extension offer. Very kind, a generous, really nice raise. But the opportunity at NBC was just too good to pass up. You know, to be able to do, to talk about fantasy football on Football Night in America, on the number one studio show in the world, like, it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. And I wanted to be a part of NFL coverage, uh, which wasn't a big part of what I did at ESPN. And so, I mean, th that's really what it was. It wasn't like, you know, I left with, I left with hugs and handshakes. I have nothing bad to say about my time at ESPN. So you're back on Sunday night now for the first time since Married with Children. Correct. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. How yeah. long did you work for that show? I did one year. I did 28 episodes on the show. How many writers were on the show? Probably eight or nine. That's just got to be a fascinating process. Just sit around and drink and oh, it was great. Eat and it, maybe smoke. Oh yeah, it was. It was Not, so maybe, maybe the Chris Sims substance just for inspiration. <laughs> Um, I never did that. Uh, I may, but some people may have contact. But, you know, yeah, exactly. There you go. But you know, the, the, the great, I mean, it was both awful and awesome. The awesome part about it is it's an amazing show, right? It's this iconic show. I joined towards the end and I'd grown up and that cast was so incredible. You could write a so-so joke and Ed O'Neill would make it a home run. You know, or or Christine Applegate or Katie Segal or, you know, David Faustino. Like, the cast was amazing. Uh, really great. And, like, if you'd wrote him a good joke, you know, it was it was a grand slam. And if you wrote him a so-so joke, they'd still sell it and make it work. So that was the great thing. And just, it was so much fun to write for those characters. And it's Married with Children. So sort of everything went, right? You could do all sorts of stuff. The tough part was, is that there was one guy on staff who'd been there the entire time. They did 259 episodes of the show. And so you'd, like, you're sitting around in the writer's room and you're trying to pitch stuff. And you'd go, hey, um, uh, you know, what about uh, – so I got this idea. Okay, so Kelly and Bud do blah, 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 blah. And they'd go, eh, you know, there's this one time in season six that we sort of did that with Peg. You know, I mean, like literally every single thing. Like they did – they had done every episode. Because, again, the show is those four people, that couch, and the shoe store. I mean, it really – you know, I mean, it was so – that was the brilliance of it, the simplicity of it. But it was also like – you had to really start thinking about, uh, okay, what about, nah, we kind of did that in season four. You're like, oh, you know, That's was, what amazes me about The Simpsons. Like, how in the hell do The Simpsons keep coming up with new stuff? Because oh, somewhere yeah. you've got to have the connective tissue all the way back to the sure. beginning and awareness of everything you've ever done because you know that there are people out there watching the show who know. They okay. know, and they're going to call you out on it if you do contradict or overlap or it feels like you're being lazy, and you may as well just do a clip show if you're going to go back and, and rehash old storylines again. The executive Bruce of The Simpsons is a, is a friend of mine, a guy named Matt Selman, brilliant writer, really funny, and I've talked to him about that, and he says the same thing. He says, we, we actually have to reference other – like, you know, it's just like I – think, I think he was telling me a story like – I think they did two different – two different episodes where like a, like a sugar truck or something broke down and they had to, in the second they were like, what are the odds of a sugar truck breaking down again? You know, like they have to, they constantly have to like sort of wink at the audience and, and acknowledge, you know, that yeah, it's going on. I mean, The Simpsons is one of the all-time amazing success stories. 32 years now and, yeah. and still going strong. All right, I, I could do that all day. I, I mean, people out there. People want to talk football. People want to talk football, but still, I think you have an interesting story. It's fascinating and it's great to have a chance to talk about it a little bit and I'm sure we'll talk about it yeah. more either on camera or off camera in the coming years. All right, let's get to 
the fantasy drafts that folks are already sure. – when is the ideal time to do a fantasy draft? I try to do it as late as possible That's because you know people are going to get injured during preseason, during training camp. It's going to throw everything upside down. People get all excited about doing it on a certain day in August. I try to delay mine, not that anybody cares, as long as I possibly can. I want to know who's healthy going into the start of the season before I set my team. thousand percent. The best time to do a draft – for a league, if you're if you're setting up for a league, is as late as possible for that that you know to that point. Um, but if you are doing your own draft, i.e., if you're in a best ball or you're competing against people you don't know, I actually think for somebody like you, you'd want to draft as early as possible because you're aware of training camp battles or players that are going to be more valuable later in the season than perhaps maybe the average person. So when you have more information, you're aware like oh you know. I know they really like this rookie, you know, and he's not on people's radar yet. But, like, so you can get value there. But I think for an entire league, you could. We did a – one of the shows I did at ESPN was uh, called The Fantasy Show, and we did a sketch that we ran every year that was really great. And we did it the year that, like, um, that uh, Jordy Nelson left – you know, he tore his ACL in, in training camp, right? It was, it was like it was Jordy Nelson, and there were a couple other big-name players that were suddenly out for the year, and it was all these people complaining, like – I. I just lost Jordy Nelson from how can I I just lost Jordy Nelson from my fantasy team. How can I do it? Like we've got this revolutionary product, new product. It's called a calendar. With a calendar, <laughs> you can figure out when the season starts and have your draft the day before. This is how you solve injuries in the preseason with a calendar. And so, you know, it was like what a pro- and it was all it was yeah. very infomercial and over the top and uh, did really well for us and went viral and the whole thing. But yeah, that I mean, you're Mike. You're exactly right. Like ideally, it's the day before the season. And I I know leagues that will do their drafts on the Friday and Saturday after the Thursday night game. I know at NBC we're opening up the season with Bills at Rams, and they'll do it that weekend. You know, and just count the stats from the first game retroactively. But I think that first week, either that weekend before that Thursday game. Or that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before the Thursday night game. I mean, I think for all fans, whether it's fantasy football or you're a fan of a certain team, that's what August is so much about, just fretting what's going to happen when they start playing the preseason games because you know it's inevitable. Yeah, guys are going to get injured during training camp, but still they, they go easier than they used to, sure. even though it still happens. But once you get into those games, I remember that Nelson injury. It was a preseason game at Pittsburgh, yeah. and it's just, you know, boom, there it is, and he's done for the year, and it changes how you feel about the Packers. It changes how you, you know, changes a lot of things. And uh, so... Uh, and that, that, I mean, that happened fairly... I mean, it was like a week... I remember I had... Uh, so for a number of years, I, I was uh, I was in the, a, a league with the Howard Stern Show guys. So I'm a big Howard fan, have been for years. And I was in a league with a bunch of those guys, and that was like my first year in the league, and Jordy Nelson was my second-round pick. You know, like, here's this league that's going to be talked about on the air, and, you know, I'm coming in as the expert, and they're all going to be gunning for me, and I just lost my second-round pick. We haven't played a game. What are we doing? Is it proven, because it sure feels this way, that every year the guy who is the consensus no-brainer number one ends up being a major disappointment? Isn't that – it just feels like that. Like Christian McCaffrey, he's the guy. And And every year there's that guy that everyone's got to have. It just seems like more often than not that guy ends up being a disappointment because it's a running back who gets banged up in some way. Right, sometimes. I mean, it's been tough. Just the last two years it's been Christian McCaffrey, right? And so obviously the last two years have been disappointing for him. But I think the year before that, I have to think about that. No, but I mean, there have been times when like Todd Gurley, you know, Todd yep. Gurley would be would number one, and he would he would produce. McCaffrey would go high, like he'd be two or three, and he would he would obviously he was great up until the last two years, and and McCaffrey produced when he was on the field, 
It is. I mean, it's it's all sort of injury-based. We always say, or I always say, you can't win your league in the first round. You can lose it. In the first round, you just want as safe production as you can get, and but injuries are a part of it, right? Who's I mean, so the, the, Derek, the question is, is like with Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was a, was a top pick last year. Did, was Derrick Henry a good pick or a bad pick? Because up until he got hurt, Derrick Henry was fantastic. I mean, he was winning people their leagues, and then, then he gets injured, and you're done, right? I mean, so it is. I haven't really thought about it yet this year because I delay my draft as long as possible. But who is that consensus number one guy? It's this year? Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that makes sense, right? And because this and is the year, because he's already shown it, and this is year three, and off we go. And you got Matt Ryan at quarterback, and yep, they should be in scoring position, and and the the offensive line is great. I, I have McCaffrey at two. I've seen other people that have McCaffrey at one. The argument for McCaffrey at one is just like it's all risky. Every running back is a is a risk to get injured on every play. So why not go with a guy that has the highest upside? And that's probably McCaffrey, right? You know, that just when McCaffrey's healthy, he's just been nothing short of amazing. He has more pass-catching ability than Jonathan Taylor, though they used Taylor more in the passing game uh, last year than I think people thought. So there's more upside with McCaffrey. But again, like, my take is always I'd rather try I don't want to lose the, the, the league in the first round. So I have McCaffrey, too, because there is some injury risk there. I mean, after, after two years, at some point, you kind of go like, all right, and you've got the uncertainty now. We assume Baker Mayfield's going to be the quarterback, right. but we don't know. We don't know how it's going to go. You've got Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator. You've got everybody on the hot seat there. That's got to be a factor in how reliable it is that McCaffrey, even if he's healthy, is going to have the kind of impact that we've seen him have in past years. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they may try to limit – I mean, they brought in some guys. like so. Like, oh, and the, the guy they got from Tennessee. Deontay Foreman. He was awesome last Fantastic. year. Fantastic. What a great story that kid is, right? I mean, because he, he had... He's ready to give up. He, he had ready a to give serious up. injury, and yep. he was nothing short of amazing filling in for Henry, speaking of Derrick Henry, last year. And so, and they have Chuba Hubbard, and so they may they have a little bit more depth than they have previously at that position, and they may be like, hey, we don't want McCaffrey to have as much many touches as he has previously. And you're right, it is really interesting. You've got a guy in McAdoo who's been a head coach and is who's had a bunch of different offensive schemes. Like, his offensive scheme with the Giants is different than when he was with the Packers, right? Which, obviously, when you got Eli versus Aaron Rodgers, you, you tailor it a little bit differently to those quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting what he does with Baker. And then you've got Matt Rule, who's an offensive-minded coach. And so how does that mesh? And, yeah, there's a lot of question marks around Carolina this year. You, you made some fascinating comments last night on the pregame show about Jalen Hurts because th- there is this great disconnect between – is a guy a good quarterback? Is he a good fantasy quarterback? And there's, I see a lot of connections and similarities between Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga Bailoa, although the vibe is different. In Philly, it's like they're trying to build him up. Yeah. In Miami, it's like they're trying to eliminate all excuses and put it all on him, even though as they enter year three and they've been kind of similar, Hurts has been better. But when you look at Hurts, explain to us why he stands out. You've got him at number four among all quarterbacks. Why is he where he is when you've got so many Eagles fans who still don't know what they have in Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, for, I mean, Philly fans are never happy. I mean, that's the other thing, too, right? They're- Winning a Super Bowl made them worse. It did. It, it's, it's like they got a taste of crack and they want more of it yeah. now. I'm sorry to you, but I'm saying yeah. it's, it's like they, they're worse now than they were before they won a Super Bowl. Right, so for people watching, they, you know, they, they've thrown it up on the screen here where my, uh, where my quarterbacks rank this year. And so, you know, one of the things I made on air, the points I made on air... Chris Sims and I were talking about this and debating Hurts, and I said, yeah, look, you don't have to be a good NFL quarterback to be a good fantasy quarterback. I mean, like, right, you know, 
I have Aaron Rodgers at eight. I have Tom Brady at five among fantasy quarterbacks. But, you know, those are two of the greatest to ever play the game and are still playing, obviously, at a very, very elite level. To answer your question about Jalen Hurts, the rushing ability. So, I mean, Jalen Hurts, and I think a lot of people have said, like, ah, last year was an uneven year for Jalen Hurts from an NFL standpoint. He was the ninth best quarterback in fantasy last year. And it's because of the rushing, right? And so the fact that you get fantasy points with both your legs and your arm, this is what Hurts does. And if you look at my list, other than Rodgers and Brady, it's all guys that get points with both their arm and their and their uh, legs. You've got Josh Allen, you've got Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, you know, guys like that, right? And so um, uh, Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Jalen Hurts there at number four. Here's the thing that I think people forget about Hurts. So Hurts comes into the NFL. Uh, he gets four games. He gets four games uh, at a time when the organization was dysfunctional. I mean, you know, so Doug Peterson is fighting with Howie Roseman. That, that, you know, uh, people are injured. Jalen Hurts comes in for the final four games of his rookie year. His best receiver is Greg Ward, AAF superstar Greg Ward, former college mm-hmm. quarterback Greg Ward. That's his best wide receiver. Now, Greg Ward's a nice story, but come on. He's not a number one NFL wide receiver, and that's who Jalen Hurts is being thrown into with this, all this turmoil that's going on around, uh, around Peterson. And obviously, four games later, Peterson leaves the Eagles. Okay, so, and he, he mostly runs. But now in his last year, this is his second year, he goes out, and it's his first year under Sirianni. And people are questioning, his, no, one, no one questions the athleticism, they, they understand the legs. But with Jalen Hurts, the question is, well, what about the accuracy? And so I went back and I looked at, and I remember that, those were the concerns about Josh Allen. What about, you know, we know he's got a cannon for an arm, but he's not accurate. And so, and if you look at his second season in the NFL, Josh Allen's second season in the NFL, and you compare it with Jalen Hurts' second season in the NFL, which we just got through, Jalen Hurts has more passing yards than Josh Allen. He's got a higher completion percentage than Josh Allen. He's got more rushing yards. He has the same number of interceptions. They both had nine uh, in that second year, and they average basically the same in terms of touchdowns per game. What happened in year three? Josh Allen got Stefan Diggs and suddenly became a lot better, right? And his, his completion percentage went way up, and he wound, wound up that year as the number one fantasy quarterback, number one QB in fantasy. What happened this year? They went out and got him A.J. Brown, who, uh, for people that aren't aware, A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts are very good friends off the field. They have a, a real connection. Um, now they're obviously teammates. Second year of Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. You could make an argument that Jalen Hurts has better weapons around him than Josh Allen had in his third year. Yes. And second year in the system. I'm just saying that, again, he was QB9 last year and struggled. My expectation here is that you always, in fantasy, you talk about range of outcomes. Being the number one quarterback in fantasy is within the range of outcomes for Jalen Hurts. He's currently going as, as quarterback eight. I think that's too low. I'm a QB four. I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts, especially with that offensive line and that schedule. They open up with Detroit. They've got Jacksonville. Their first four games are pretty easy. And so I think that there's a good chance through those first four games, he goes three and one. And all the Boo Birds and the, the Eagle Talk, uh, Philly Talk Radio are like, okay, we can ease up. And you sort of get into that rhythm and now you're feeling good about yourself. The irony here is that the weapons in the passing game give him a way to pivot toward throwing it more, which actually could diminish the appeal of Jalen Hurts as a runner. Because last year, I think Nick Sirianni, first-year head coach at the time, consciously said, look, what do we got here? we got to win some games. Right. The passing game isn't our strong suit. Let's redesign this. Let's reconfigure it. Let's run it more. But if they can open up the passing game, 
that diminishes that that double threat to a certain extent. That's part of the risk. A little bit, I, I think, but two things. Number one is I th- still think, you know, if you watch those games, there's sometimes that, again, Hurts as a as a inexperienced quarterback in the pros, sometimes will, like, he'll take off and run, right? You know, when he doesn't see something there, a lot of quarterbacks maybe throw it away. Hurts is a guy that will, will take off and run uh, and often make it work. So I think there's that. And there's also, you know, being mobile like that allows you to open up the passing game because a lot of times now you got to keep a spy linebacker on Hertz and everything like that. So, you know, I think they will – I think Sirianna is a good coach, and I think they will they will add to that playbook. Um, but, again, if, again, if you look at sort of my top, you know, 10 quarterbacks, a lot of the guys that are the elite fantasy quarterbacks, all – you can point that you – know, same with Lamar Jackson, same with Kyler Murray, right? Same with um, Same with Josh Allen, right? And so – on and on and on and on. You've got Lamar Jackson at number six. How hard is it to evaluate him given the injury last year, given the periodic he's not able to practice or play because of some sort of a stomach ailment? He doesn't have a contract with the team. It's going to be awkward potentially. I don't believe he's going to sign a contract before the start of the season. I think there's a chance he never signs another contract with the Baltimore Ravens. How much does that kind of stuff because I know it's very analytics-based and it's equations sure. and it's formulas, range of outcomes. How do you take those uncertainties, availability questions, and turn that into something that, that gives you a number that you can assess as to where a guy should be? You try to, you try to just basically focus on what you do know, right? And so uh, for me, in the case of Lamar Jackson, the contract stuff, he's going to ball out. Like, he's going to play this year for the Baltimore Ravens. And so if there's any off-the-field distractions... You can't really focus on that. The The injury thing is is interesting, as is what I more look for is like, okay, so last year the Ravens were ninth in pass attempts. They're the ninth most pass attempts. And so this year, but they let Marquise Brown go, and they don't do anything major at pass catcher in either the draft or free agency. Like, I know they're, they're very high in Rashad Bateman. Mark Andrews came off for career year last year. But that's pretty much it. The rest of them are a bunch of guys that we'll see if somebody else emerges. But in terms of the bolstering of the offensive line, they're getting uh, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards back. Remember last year, both guys tore their ACLs yep. in preseason. We talked about it. Once again, same thing. This is why you hold your draft as, as close as possible because J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards were both very popular picks last year in fantasy, especially Dobbins. And so the expectation is that they get back to their running ways because last year they were – you know, they had street free agents. They lost Ronnie Staley uh, in, the, um, in the preseason as well. So they, they sort of aired it out last year, and I don't think they will. But for me, you're like, okay, well, if they're going to run a lot, that's going to be a lot of Lamar. And so, um, but again, there's, there is slight concerns. I've seen people have Lamar as high as three or four. I have him at six because of those concerns. I think he passes less when he's running more. That's more, uh, more opportunity for injury. And again, if... Bateman doesn't take the next step. You're like, I mean, it's Mark Andrews and then just a bunch of guys at the moment. I know that you have a history of joking about when you get a new contract, Hainsworthing it. Yeah, total Hainsworth. I'm not going to let you Hainsworth it yet here. Okay. I'm keeping Fair. you for another segment. You done. can Hainsworth it after we're done because Rodney apparently is Hainsworthing it and not showing up. Yeah. Which we, we had it just under 50-50. I don't know whether I took the over or the under, but we had a feeling. It, it had a long night. Look, I'm not, I, I love Rodney, but he's not here. You it's are. Great. Well, listen, I'm the newbie. 
That's I'm right. Ro- Rodney's earned that. Rodney's earned, been here. Earned the Rod- Rodney's sleep. got the privilege to, to yeah. sleep and yeah. otherwise just not show up. And that's fine. We're going to take a quick break. We'll have more with the fantasy football GOAT, Matthew Barry, when PFT Live continues right after this. Last week, Justin Jefferson talked about you uh, saying Coop is good, but I'll break myself above him. Do you care to give your thoughts on that comment? No, I would hope he would, he would say that. You know, I, I think that's the that's the beauty of this game, and um, I think it speaks to the competitiveness of this of this league. You know, there's a I don't think if you're if you're not putting yourself as the best, and you're not you're not working to be the best, then uh, I think uh, I'd be I'd be concerned about stepping on the field with you if you don't feel like you've prepared be the best player that you can be so you know I, I respect his opinion and uh, I can also respectfully disagree keep waiting for that beard to end up going full ZZ top for Cooper Cup that's a disappointment he didn't grow it out a little bit more in the offseason Justin Jefferson puts himself ahead of Cooper Cup Matthew Berry disagrees Cup number one Jefferson number two there's the top 10 that Matthew has put together for this year's fantasy receivers Matthew Berry still with us on set what do you got? before we move on so we've seen Cooper Cup there Fun story about fantasy. We were just talking about Bill Belichick, you know, saying he doesn't care about your fantasy team. But uh, we had uh, on my on my show last year, we had Cooper Cup's father. So Cooper Cup's father, who by the way, former pro quarterback, backed up Troy Aikman for a number of years, plays in a fantasy league with a bunch of his buddies, a bunch of his college buddies. And every year, uh, they just let him have Cup, and they let him have his his son. And last year, because Cup was so amazing, they made a rule. <laughs> He's not allowed to have his son anymore. Like, they, you know, like if you want your son, you have to draft him now. We're not going to let you just have your own kid. And I asked him, I said, like, did you explain to them, like, hey, it, why don't you produce your own all-star <laughs> football players? It's not my fault. I have all-pro DNA, and you guys don't. You know, but uh, no. But I just thought that was very funny. Like, Cooper Cup's father is not allowed to draft Cooper Cup anymore. And he uh, really was incredible last year. Almost yeah. set the single-season record for yards and – what was it? Yards, receptions, receptions touchdowns, yeah, everything, points, everything. everything. I, a monster year, a monster year from start to finish. And what concerns me now, we talked about this earlier in the program as it relates to Matthew Stafford and the elbow, the tendonitis. Sure. If for some reason he misses time and it's John Wolford, I know it's system driven, but still there's a difference between Stafford and Wolford. Of That's going to affect Cup's overall production. Sure. I, and it's impossible. It's, it's, it's impossible to factor that in. Yeah. Did you factor any of this uncertainty with Stafford in any way into this? Or this is no, just Cup, I, Cup in that system and what he did last year, he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, that's, exa- that's exactly it. And, and you have to deal with what you know, right? As far as we know, as of this morning, Matthew Stafford's going to play, you know, all 17 games. If that changes, right, then, then you adjust. But it's hard to adjust. A, but there's no question. Stafford misses time. That affects, that affects Cooper, Cooper Cup. That affects... Allen Robinson, honestly, it would affect Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson because you expect him to lean on the run game a little bit more, right? You know, and so it just it sort of opens everything up, and you know, it's really interesting, uh, you know, thinking about the Rams as a, as an offensive unit because you know they went from a team that you felt was sort of loaded, and now you're like, it's, it gets pretty dicey. Van Jefferson's banged up as well, and you, so you're sort of like, they've got Higby who they like a lot, obviously a tight end, but like it feels. After Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson, it feels pretty thin for a team that, you know, had a lot of depth. Obviously, Beckham's not back with the team yet, and uh, we'll see what ends up happening there and if he plays this year. And I don't know. So uh, the Rams are fascinating. 
Jefferson's got a good chance to pass him this year just because of the fact that he generated so much last year in an offense that wasn't as creative as it presumably will be this year with Kevin O'Connell, the former Rams assistant, now running the show. The Vikings have an offensive coach for the first time since Brad Childress. They're moving Jefferson all around the place like Cup. He's been saying that since Kevin O'Connell got the job. He was the happiest guy, I think, in Minnesota when O'Connell gets the job because he gets the chance to be the Cooper Cup in that offense, and he's got to throw everybody. You can't survive in this league if you don't have a tremendous amount of confidence. That's like Cup said. I'd like yeah. to think he would say that. You're not going to say, no, I'm number five. But <laughs> – uh, I, I think he could be he could be really really good this year considering how good he was last year with the limitations the team had. He I mean he's a special player. I have it too. Yeah. But you know but it's hard to Justin Jefferson confidence aside. Uh, it is hard to put him above Cooper Cup. It's hard to put anyone above Cooper Cup. I mean Cooper Cup's season last year was historic. Well, I mean like like literally like Randy Moss. You know I mean like unbelievable. Like, the number of records Cooper Cup set last year, and so now you go to Justin Jefferson, but I think this is really interesting. So I did, I, I did a column for NBC Sports Edge uh, called 100 Facts, which is, which is up now, and I have a bunch of facts about Kirk Cousins, and this obviously relates to Justin Jefferson. I mean, like, just look at those numbers. Justin Jefferson had a monster year, and he was still over 300 passing yards you know, below. He, he still was, like, you know, almost 40 receptions behind him, six touchdowns behind him. And again, Jefferson, I mean, like, Cooper Cup probably could have stopped playing in, I want to say, like week 14 and still would have been the number one wide receiver in fantasy. That's just how stupid the numbers are for Cooper Cup. Having said that about Jefferson, though, let's talk about this Vikings offense for a, for a second. I think this is pretty interesting, okay? Here's the entire list, the entire list of quarterbacks that have thrown at least 30 touchdown passes each of the last two years. Okay, here's the list. Aaron Rodgers makes sense. Tom Brady, that makes sense. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert. And Kirk Cousins. That's the list. Like, so you've got the five guys that are, like, at the top of the fantasy charts, the top of, you know, all pros, and then Kirk Cousins. And no one ever likes Kirk Cousins. You know what I mean? He's like, eh, he's meh. But Kirk Cousins, um, uh, again, is is the – those guys that I just mentioned are the only people with more total touchdown passes over Mm -hmm. the last two years than Cousins. Mike – under Mike Zimmer last year, they were bottom 14 in pass rate. And to your point – uh, and he's had, by the way, Cousins has had at least 4,000 passing yards six of the last seven seasons. Doesn't get hurt. Is there the upside of Kirk Cousins? Is Kirk Cousins going to magically put you on his back and win you a game the way that a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady can? No. But he's better than I think he gets credit for. Agreed. I, I think he is a top 10, top 12-ish quarterback, both in real life and in fantasy. And to your point... Now he gets Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips over from the Rams, who just helped Matthew Stafford to the best year of his career. Stafford was a top-five fantasy quarterback last year and a Super Bowl champion. And so I think people are sleeping a little bit on this Vikings offense, and especially Kirk Cousins. Fantasy-wise, like, again, he's, he's you know, inside my top 13, right? He's nothing he's, – there's a limited upside. But there's also a limited downside. And for your deeper league, your two-quarterback league, I think Cousins is interesting. Jefferson should be number two. Speaking of those Vikings, by the way, I think Irv Smith is an interesting sleeper as well. He's healthy. And Adam Thielen's being left for dead. Like, Adam Thielen was very productive last year. Like, just because he's not as good as Justin Jefferson at this point of his career, Adam Thielen is still a really good NFL-wide receiver. Still a really, really great route runner. And that is an offense that is going to throw.
a lot. Oh, they're going to throw a lot more than they have, and they may throw it more effectively, and they may have more plays designed where Cousins doesn't have the walls closed, and that's the biggest problem for him. When the walls close in, it's over. Yeah, He can't do anything with his legs like a Mahomes or an Allen can do. We need to take a quick break. When we return, though, I want to ask Matthew Barry about the challenges of trying to figure out where guys fit when receivers change one team to another, one quarterback to another, specifically with Tyreek Hill in Miami. We'll talk about that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. This was six days ago. Back together Saturday, somebody rolling the video, and that is Tua Tagovailoa, the left-handed throw, 65 yards in the air, trying to overthrow Tyreek Hill, but that's Tyreek Hill. You cannot overthrow Tyreek Hill. All right, Matthew Berry here still with us, and there is a dynamic this year, especially with so many. At least he hit him in stride, that's by what, the way. Uh, just that's a, He had to actually lay out for it a little bit. Yeah. Tyreek Hill, when you, when you make Tyreek Hill do that, you've really put sure. a lot on it because that's Tyreek Hill. So you got Tyreek Hill changing teams. Devontae Adams changing teams. A.J. Brown, we talked about him earlier. He changes teams. How, let's, and let's focus on Tyreek Hill because you go from Patrick Mahomes. Sure. And Tyreek Hill has been phenomenal. Now you've got the questions. Is Tua going to be able to do that in a game? Are they going to have to work to get the ball in Tyreek's hands? How do you, because you've got him at number eight. Some people would say it's a little low. How big of an impact is that, that you go from a known situation where you've got Mahomes to who knows what we're going to get? I mean, it's obviously, I think if he's back in um, in Kansas City, he's probably, you know, wide receiver two or three. So you discount a little bit. Phenomenal talent. They paid him a ton of money. He's obviously going to be a focal point of that offense. We are bullish on Mike McDaniel, right, based on what he's done he's in San awesome. Francisco. He's right. just awesome. Yeah. So we're really bullish on Mike McDaniel, what that offense is going to look like. And we believe, or I believe, that he will manufacture touches for Tyreek Hill. And they will be creative about getting the ball in his hands, in space, in a variety of different ways. But to your point, right, you have to look at the entire situation. Because now he goes to a quarterback that's a downgrade. You know, I'm not trying to dump on Tua, but he ain't Patrick Mahomes. Right? That is a downgrade. Even if Tua has Tyreek a Tyreek is the only one who thinks that it's not a downgrade. Right. Or that, yeah, he, he, says, he still says that Tua is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, and I think most people realize with a functioning brain that Tua's got some, some work to do to prove to anyone that he's accurate and reliable and can do what he did in a game, what we saw in that clip from last Saturday. And then you also think about who else the Dolphins have, right? So they've, they've added Jalen Waddell. Uh, they added Cedric Wilson. They have Gasicki. Um, they, have, they have guys that can be used in the passing game. This is why I think the Dolphins are a fascinating offense this year. So they add Chase Edmonds. They add Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert's a better pass-catching running back than I think people realize. And, and so they have a lot of guys that are going to be able to touch the ball and do a bunch of things. So I'm fascinated to watch what this Dolphins offense is. But uh, I think there is a – so Tyreek Hill's still going to get his, but maybe does he get as big a target share? Um, as he had in Kansas City, is are there as many explosive plays as that in Kansas City? I mean, Patrick Mahomes can flick his wrist and it goes 80 yards, right? And so, uh, Tua just, I don't know that, uh, this side of Josh Allen, that, that anyone has the arm strength of Patrick Mahomes, right? So, we think there's a downgraded quarterback. It is a new system. There are more mouths to feed in that Dolphins offense, but... He's still Tyreek Hill. He's still insanely fast. He's still faster than Yah, his old Twitter handle, right? And so he comes in at number eight for me. Uh, we expect a very good year, but not as good a year as he's had in Kansas City, at least from a fantasy perspective. It is interesting, though, that the Dolphins have said, like, listen to it. If it doesn't work this year, it ain't on us. Yeah. Like, we're giving you as many. We're giving you an offensive-minded coach. 
we're adding all these pieces. You know, Jalen Waddle was awesome last year. Like, improve like, the offensive line with Toronto Armstead. Yep. Yeah, it's no excuses 2022 for Tua Tonga-Vailoa without question. And Tyreek, one of the many things he said on It Needed to Be Said, his podcast, is that he recognizes that first-round pick, third-year quarterback, if you don't get it done, you're done. And, and I think whether he intends to or not, he is putting extra pressure on him by saying all these things. We'll see if Tua can live up to it. Right. Um, and what's weird is I, feel, I actually feel bad for Tua. Yes. Because he comes in the league, uh, you know, banged up hip. The, the franchise has obviously gone through a lot of turmoil and now continues to. Obviously, there's a lot of off-the-field stuff that, that if you're two in your court, they're going to ask him about it. And even if it's just like, I don't know, it was before I got here. Or like, I don't, you know, I was just trying to win games. and You know, whatever. It, there's a lot of stuff that happens that, but he's, it's, it's His a entire career, it starts off, we want Joe Burrow. Uh, we'll take Tua. Then it's, we want Deshaun Watson. We'll settle for Tua. Oh, we want Tom Brady. Uh, we'll just stick with Tua. And after this year, it's going to be somebody else if, if Tua doesn't get it done. Let me ask about Devontae Adams because we're running out of time yeah. here. You mentioned target share. And I heard you say this either on the air or off air in the past couple of days, the idea that you go from Green Bay where you're the guy and now you're in – Las Vegas with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And even you, even though you still may be one of the best receivers in the NFL, you're not going to have the production because you're not getting the ball as much as he, you were. He had a north of 30% target share in Green Bay each of the last three years. North of 30%. I mean, just, it, you know, massive. And so going from Aaron Rodgers to Derek, uh, Derek Carr is a downgrade. There are more weapons, more mouths to feed. He goes to a coach in Josh McDaniels. Patriot Way is always about trying to share the, you know, share the love. And, and now... Devontae Adams still amazing, but given the lack of target share and going from Rodgers to Carr, he's a guy that usually is the number one wide receiver in fantasy. I am at number four. Look, it, it's sort of those two-way street. And this is a debate you always have in fantasy. There, he's he's going to get less balls because there's there's more competition, right? So he's got Waller and Renfro, players uh, that he didn't have next to him in Green Bay. But also, he's got Waller and Renfro. In Green Bay, you're like, we're going to double and triple team Devontae Adams and, you know, we'll take our chances with Alan Lazard or, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling or whatever. And here they're going to be like, well, we'll kill you with Waller or Renfro or, or whatever. So you'll probably see um, less double coverage and triple coverage and less defenses rolling to him this year. But he's also going to get less, less, less uh, targets. Whatever. He's Devontae Adams. He's going to be just fine. Wide receiver four. If he's your number one wide receiver, you're going to be just fine this year. We're going to be just fine with Matthew Barry here as part of the NBC Sports family, the fantasy football goat. We need to take a break. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. Apparently, uh, some news is breaking. Uh-oh, it's ha- I hear your phone falling on the I – I knew you were barely listening to me, and I could tell you were looking at your phone. She has found that Deshaun Watson violated the personal conduct policy and suspended him six games. I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who, when they hear about this, they're going to be upset. Now the Browns can kind of somewhat formulate a plan here. The team can start looking at it and go, oh, man, if we can just get through that first six games, three and three, four and two, give ourselves a fighting chance for when Watson gets back, watch out. We know their team is really good, so that's got to excite Cleveland for sure. I don't think this Watson thing is even close to being over. The way this thing's written, there's enough there for the commission. It doesn't to read say, like six games. I know that. To, to say I can do a lot more. You have found, as a factual matter, 
enough to let me say I'm doing 17 if I want to do 17. When you hear, like, basically lie, sexual predator, uh, showing no remorse for the actions you did, I mean, when you just get through some of those parts of it right there, you go, wait, this has ended up being a six-game suspension? And that's where I guess I'm a little confused by it, and that's where I guess I get to the point of, like you're saying, that the NFL is going to swoop in here, and I expect them to add more games to this to Sean Watson's suspension. I don't want to engage in hyperbole here. Brian Flores is a hero. He's a hero for pushing back against Stephen Ross and ignoring Stephen Ross. If you're going to put credence in the things Brian Flores is saying, you can't pick or choose what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. Exactly. Well, we believe Brian Flores when he reduced to writing his concerns about Stephen Ross expressing his belief that draft position takes precedence over win-loss record. But we're, we're not going to believe him when he says it's, that he took that off. It's totally serious. serious, right. And my sources have been pretty strong with this, that there was even compensation discussed with Tampa and Miami. All right? It was... So, Everything was done. Yes. It was just a matter of the first domino right. being hit. Right. And Brian Flores grabbed the first domino right. and threw it out the window. Right. If the Dolphins tampered with Tom Brady yeah, they were already in the and inside got track. him, right. how could a team that didn't tamper with him get him? Yeah, right. If the team that was talking to him failed, right. how could it be that a team that followed all the rules and had no direct communications with him until the league year began in 2020, how in the right. hell did that team right. get him? They tampered too. I'm still here, and I'm blessed to be here. You know, if it has to do with support from the team, I think the team's all in with with me and all the guys that we have now. See, if I'm Tua, what I say yesterday is, guys, this is nothing compared to having Deshaun Watson hanging over my head that been for a, half of the season. That would have been a good way to defuse it. You're right. They've been trying to get rid of me yeah. for a year. So what? What's new? Hey, don't be too hurt by it, Tua. There's a lot of people that would want Tom Brady. I mean, so they're, they're, it's, it's not necessarily always personal to you that way. It is Tom Brady. He's a different stratosphere. He's the GOAT, all of that. So a lot of teams are going to want him in town for, yeah, his play and, and the business aspect of it. But, hey, you know, they're they are all in on what they got now, and that's what all he should worry about. The preseason has begun. It won't continue until next weekend. Until then, we'll be paying very careful attention to what happens next with Deshaun Watson. Remember this, there are no specific dates or deadlines for a resolution of the appeal that the NFL filed to the NFL itself. The requirement is that it be expedited. I expect to hear something sooner rather than later. One of the potential skirmishes, whether or not there will be an actual appeal hearing. As I said earlier, the personal conduct policy doesn't call for one. The CBA doesn't call for one. The NFL Players Association may ask for one. We'll see whether or not that ultimately happens. The NFLPA will be filing its brief at some point today that will be pushing back against the NFL's argument. As I said earlier, it could get ugly between the league and the union. There could be other steps that happen. This is going to continue to be one of the biggest stories in the National Football League. And I've got a lot of other angles and opinions that I want to share at profootballtalk.com. What I'm doing after this show ends, I'm jumping in my car. I am heading home. And once I get back, You'll see more from me at PFT. Until then, check out all the stuff that is written there by the rest of the crew, MDS, Josh Alper, Shereen Williams, and Miles Simmons. Thanks again to Miles for getting up extra early and joining me, and thanks so much to Matthew Barry joining NBC Sports this week. Spent a lot of time with us today. You'll hear and see plenty more from him in the coming days. That's it for now. We'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.